some years back had this idea before going on one of our adult work weekends that we should carry the cross with us all around that weekend that we went off to camp. And then Kate decided to do it with the high schoolers as well. So Terry Deming and Ron Hively got to cutting and putting it together. And then Jim Williamson came along and there's a piece of leather that's right in the center. This cross stays in my truck. So you can imagine if you flipped it over, it looks like my black flatbed. But I thought that since I asked everyone else to carry it, I should also be carrying it. And as we focus on the cross this week, I ask you to figure out a way in which you too can remember to carry the cross of someone else, perhaps for a little while, and to remember the cross of Jesus, who out of great love for us, went to the cross that we may have eternal life. So I say this introduction to you because it's been said that like a diamond, the more you focus on the cross, the more angles you will see. And today, the sermon will be from the perspective of Simon of Cyrene. We go now to our scripture today, and it is Matthew 16, verse 24. Let's say it together. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I was a spectator in the crowd that bottlenecked the narrow streets of Jerusalem on that Friday morning. I had just arrived in the city just a few days earlier to work. It was an 800-mile journey to get from Cyrene to Jerusalem. It took me a month to get here to celebrate in time for the Passover. I was tired that morning. So I started to walk down the street to the temple, and all of a sudden there was this major traffic jam in the road. I mean, in fact, it was so bad that they were diverting to the side of the street because there seemed to be some kind of processional coming straight down the middle of the road. Well, I knew better than to get involved in what looked like a local problem. So I tried to keep my distance. Yet curiosity got the best of me. And I ventured closer to the processional and I pushed through the crowd to get a better look. But my stomach was not prepared to take in what my eyes would see. I saw three men and they were carrying the full weight of huge beams of wood struggling down the road several Roman soldiers carrying whips, pushing them from behind. Occasionally, you could even hear the crisp, clear crack of one of the whips. And I quickly realized that what I was watching was a death march. And the three men carrying the beams of wood would be crucified. A Roman soldier on a horse 
Well, he was clearly in charge of crowd control, his flashing sword even more compelling than the siren. Make way, he yelled in a booming voice, make way for the prisoners. I'm sorry to say that this scene, it was fairly common in the Roman world back then, condemned criminals being sent to their execution site outside the city where they would hang on those cross pieces on an upright pole until the life drained out of them. A warning to all other travelers streaming into the city, especially during Passover, that the Roman territory and the Romans, they should not, could not be tolerated or challenged. The anger of the was just intense. The intense shouts of the crowd were directed primarily at just the second of the three men. Someone in front of this one was carrying a sign that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And as this man struggled towards Simon, he noticed what looked like a woven band of thorns and it was shoved down into his forehead a cruel joke of a crown. And he looked exhausted, Simon thought, staggering under the weight of the beam. I turned to an old man standing next to me and said, who is this one for whom they cry out for blood? And he replied, have you not heard of a prophet from Nazareth named Jesus? Today he is being crucified. And I replied, if he really is a prophet, what crimes has he done that are worthy of being crucified? I will never forget the old man. He dropped his head and tears started to stream down his face. And in a voice quiet, sad, this man has committed no crime. Neither does he deserve crucifixion. But the religious leaders... They considered him a threat because he said he was the Messiah, the promised anointed one sent from God. When I looked up, all of a sudden Jesus was pretty close to where I was standing. He was in the worst shape of the three. He was now falling. And every time he dropped to his knee, he would bring more blows from the soldier's whip from behind, more howls of mocking citizens lined up on both sides of him, jeering. But then the next fall was just feet from where I was standing. Jesus was right in front of me. Our eyes met just for a second, and the soldier stepped up and raised his whip as if to try to force Jesus to his knees, but even he quickly came to the realization that everyone knew it wasn't possible for him to carry that beam now. I'm ashamed to admit this. It was one of those shocking, tragic scenes that makes a person think, Man, I'm so glad that's not me. But then suddenly, it was me. I felt this strong, gruff hand 
of a soldier grabbed me by the sleeve and he thrust me out into the middle of the street and commanded you, you carry this cross. In shock, looking back and forth between the soldier and Jesus, I, I hesitated. I wish it wasn't true, but it had been instilled in me for as long as I can remember that touching blood would make me unclean and the cross it was a mess, and I had just arrived after a long month of travel to Jerusalem to worship and observe the Passover. And if I touched that red cross, I could not observe the Passover that I longed for, left my family for, saved money for, had faithfully planned. All of that just gone, if I dare to admit it. I also hesitated because I was afraid. I was afraid of the crowd even more than the Roman guards. My nagging, insecure, fear-filled voice, that voice that whispers in your ear that you shouldn't listen to but you do, that says if you carry his cross through the street, everyone will assume that you're the criminal. What if when we get to the top of the hill, I'm mistaken and I'm laid down on the cross? The, show, the soldier, he was tired of waiting. This look meant it was a command, not a request. So I knelt down, and I lifted the cross, and the march continued. How ironic that in just a moment I went from one being in one place in the world that I couldn't wait to be in Jerusalem. I was so happy to be in Jerusalem, and now it was the worst place I could ever be. I didn't want to be there anymore. And the crowd, some were leading, some were following, some were shouting, some were spitting on him. A handful of women, they were crying, following along through the crowd. And then there in the middle of it all, I was unexpectedly carrying a cross, no longer moving into the city toward the place of sacrifice, but out of the city, up a small hill named Golgotha, outside the walls. As I struggled up the hill, the blood of Jesus so close beside me began to mingle with my own sweat. And at one point I looked over to see him, a condemned man, and he was staring right back at me. I need to tell you that what I saw in his glance, it, it changed me forever, this face of Jesus. And it shocked me because what I saw was not anger nor remorse, but a look of gratitude, but more than gratitude, compassion. And I wondered if what the old man had said was true, that this man was innocent, that this man was the Messiah, Jesus sent from God, long awaited for hundreds of years. But when we finally reached the top of the hill, the soldiers told me I could drop the cross on the ground and just leave, just go. But I didn't go far. I couldn't leave him. I couldn't take my eyes off him. So 
I went a little ways and I found a place where I could stand and I could oversee him and I could see him pretty close up. And I saw it all. Rough nails driven into his hands and feet. A crew of soldiers exerting their full strength to raise a cross and then drop it into place. From where I stood, it was as if he was raised between heaven and earth, the cross connecting them both. The jeering voices of the crowd had never let up. It just kept going. They would not cease from their mockery. Bravo, king of the Jews, they yelled. Come down from that cross. Save yourself and us. And it went on for so long. And then at last, Jesus responded. But it wasn't to them. It was to God. And from his cross, he prayed this one-sentence prayer. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I knew then that these were not the words of a criminal. These were the words of the Son of God. I know I saw how perfect love and grace respond to cruelty and to injustice. And not only did I expect the cross, I wasn't sure I even wanted it. I came to the aid of Jesus when he needed me most, and I have learned that some people find the cross at other times in life. Sometimes the cross finds you, and that was the case for me. The cross I didn't want to carry, was afraid to carry. That cross that found me has become my life's greatest blessing. Amen.